Amen. All right, as you're having a seat, please turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Acts, chapter 13. Uh, and I'm curious, does uh, anyone remember the company uh, BASF, right? All right so, you, okay, if you're over 50, you raised your hand, right? Um, you remember their slogan? Remember their slogan? Okay, I love their slogan. We don't make a lot of the products you buy, we make a lot of the products you buy better, right? That was, that was their slogan. Very, very familiar in, in its day. And I, what I love about that is I, I think that's kind of where I live a lot of my life. I don't necessarily come up with the idea, but I, I hear ideas and I'm, I can make ideas better a lot of times. However, one time I actually came up with my own idea, right? It was, it was like perfectly original, and, and here's the, the setting where this revelation came to me. I was, I was getting my hair cut. And as I was sitting there, I thought, you know, I don't like paying to have somebody else cut my hair and then it grows. And then they cut my hair and I have to pay and it grows. And it's just, you know, it's this repetitive process. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if I could cut my own hair and if I could do it well? In fact, what would be ideal is if I could cut my hair exactly the same way every time. Right? So I, I, I figure out what haircut I wanted and every time... I could cut it myself, it'd be perfect, just like I want it. And then I began looking around, I thought, you know, but it, cutting hair is really messy. I don't want all that mess in my house. What if, what if I could somehow attach the blades to a vacuum, right? So as the hair is being cut, right, it just goes into the vacuum and you'd have little settings so you could always cut it exactly the same way. I'm thinking, that's just genius. I'm a genius. This is a wonderful idea. Well, a couple of years later, I was sitting watching the TV, and I saw this. I was like, oh, man, somebody else, you know, they didn't steal my idea, right, because they didn't hear my thoughts or anything, but they came up with exactly the same idea, and they actually brought this, this thing to market, the Floby. Like, <laughs> that's just genius. I, 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 I never bought one. I, I must. I need to, to buy one of those, but, you know, it's not just good to have the idea, right? You have to then bring the idea to market. And I love those, those super simple ideas that somebody thinks of that are just so useful, like post-it notes, right? I mean, just a little bit of sticky stuff on a scrap of paper. That's genius. Or Velcro. I love Velcro, right? And, that, and you see these things everywhere, and, and we forget somebody had to have the idea first, right? Somebody had to have that idea and then actually implement the idea, bring it to market. That's actually one of the reasons I love the book of Acts, because if I can reframe your thinking about Acts, Acts is a, a story of a lot of firsts. Things that actually had never happened before and then happened for the first time. Somebody thought of it or the Spirit laid it on their hearts and then they went out and implemented it. And one of my, my favorite stories in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 13. Uh, the first church in Antioch that I would say got it. It's the first church that understood we have been so incredibly richly blessed, oh, we could go out and bless others. And so it's really, it's the first church planting church, Acts chapter 13. And so I want us to uh, learn a few lessons about this church that went beyond their own neighborhood to the nations, right? There are three principles or three characteristics that I want us to glean from the story of the church in Antioch. So I want us to read in chapter 13. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, now, there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit... They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So, first characteristic of this church was diversity. Now, I realize the word diversity in our politicized environment can be overused and misused, but this is, in many respects, a really diverse leadership team. Let me read to you the names once again. First, there's Barnabas. Remember Barnabas from earlier in the book of Acts? Uh, Barnabas, uh, son of encouragement, was uh, a Cyprian. And he was a Levite, right? So he was born outside of Israel, raised in a Gentile area, but he was trained as a Levite. He was also apparently a pretty wealthy man because he was one of the first to sell his property and then lay it at the apostles' feet for the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. So we've got Barnabas. Uh, We also have Simeon, who was called Niger. Why was he called Niger? 
because he was dark-skinned, right? Simeon was an African, a dark-skinned African, but he wasn't the only African. There was also Lucius of Cyrene. Lucius was a Roman citizen from North Africa, right? So you have two Africans, Manaean, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Manaean, uh, possibly a Roman, but more likely an Idumean. He was raised uh, with, uh, in, a, in a setting of very high social status. He was actually brought up with a king. And then we have Saul. We know a lot about Saul, don't we? Saul was a Jew who was raised in Tarsus of Sicily. He, he, Cilicia, he was, he was uh, uh, raised in a Greek area, Hellenistic area, so he was fluent in Greek, knew all the Greek poets, but also he was educated later in Jerusalem under one of the most prominent Hebrew rabbis of the day. So this is, a, this is quite a, a diverse team that you see leading the church in Antioch. Right? A lot of variety. In other words... If you looked at the church in Antioch, what people would observe is that the church or the gospel accomplished something that no social action or program has ever been able to accomplish, ever. Right? We sometimes think that um, racial tensions and conflict and tensions between people of different social status is new in our era. It's not. It's been around absolutely forever. We, we have always been tempted to look down upon people who are not like us. And that was true certainly in Antioch. And now, in this community of people, you have this beauty of, of people serving together, loving one another, who are from very different languages and cultures and background and education and social status. In other words, the community in Antioch looked in and they said, wow, what is happening in this place? That these people are able to be together in harmony. That's the beauty of of the gospel. One of the first characteristics that you see in this church is diversity. And remember, this is kind of where Paul began to develop his whole concept of the nature of church itself, which he writes about later in his epistles, which is this. Absolutely every person, man, woman, and child, Greek and barbarian, slave and free, okay, wealthy, poor, is gifted by the Holy Spirit, uniquely and specially, To be made in the image of God, who is creative, means that you are uniquely made. You are special. There is something about you that no one else possesses. And you've been given this beautiful uh, web of relationships that no one else possesses. And so when we all begin to value one another and what the unique contribution that each person can make and the relationships that each person can bring into the body of Christ... Paul says that's when the beauty occurs, right? That's how Paul really developed in this setting his initial theology of the church. And I would argue this is normal Christian living, people. Okay? Normal Christian living is that you begin to realize God made you special. God made you unique. There is absolutely no one like you. You get to contribute to the beauty of the body of Christ in a way that no one else can. So every morning as you wake up, God has a plan for your life. Right? God has relationships that you can influence. God has, has a, a beauty of the gospel that you can reflect, that no one else can reflect. You have a mission. You have a purpose. I would say that is normal Christian living for the individual, but also for the church. The church should be that one place where we come together, and it really is, is not significant that we come from different backgrounds or maybe had different languages that we grew up with or that some are wealthier than others or have more education or less education. But in fact, we are one body in Christ. Intentionally made diverse because there needs to be more than one color on the palette for the painting to pop. That's the church. And you see that in the church in Antioch. Second characteristic is that there is depth. Read with me again verse 1. There were at the church in Antioch prophets and teachers... Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Okay, that's an incredible cast of teachers, isn't it? I mean, Paul alone taught there for months and years. Can you imagine having Paul's your pastor, right? I would, I would sit down. Right? He'd say, Brian, could you get Paul up a little more frequently, right? Paul. I mean, second, in a sense, really, only to Jesus as a, as a teacher of theological truth, they had Paul. But they also had Barnabas. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, right? So Paul's bringing the theology. He's bringing the heat. And, and Barnabas is bringing the warmth. He's bringing the love. They've got, they've got this incredible cast 
of teachers, all of whom are feeding into the body of Christ there, which really was a characteristic of of the early church in the first century. They were deep in the word of God. I want you to turn back to the uh, book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Acts chapter 2, I should start in verse 41. It says, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls, right? That's the beginning of the church. We go from, you know, 120 to megachurch. Boom, there it is. 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is a quality that you see if you look all the way through the book of Acts is there is a a deep, deep hunger for the word. And you see throughout the church, it's it's not just the apostles who know the word, love the word, teach the word. In fact, uh, just a few chapters later, Acts chapter 6, they've got a little bit of a crisis in the church. There are uh, Hellenistic widows, that is, widows who are from outside of Jerusalem, and then the, the Judaic widows, those who are from inside Jerusalem, and the Hellenistic ones are being overlooked in the serving of food. Right? And these are, these are folks who, they have needs, they have no one to provide for them, but part of the group is being overlooked. And so the apostles get together and say, look, we have to focus on the teaching of the word and to prayer and to leading the church. So let's select uh, men who are of good reputation and who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they select six men, they step up, and they begin to serve. And one of those men is Stephen. Right? But S- Stephen doesn't just serve tables. Stephen knows the word. Remember, shortly after he's selected to serve tables, he has an opportunity to stand up and preach. And man, he just brings it. Uh, the, if you read that sermon, actually, it's, it's beautifully crafted in the rhetorical method of the day. He traces the entire history of the nation of Israel, brings it back into the resurrection, and convicts them of their sin in rejecting Jesus, challenging them to believe and accept him as Messiah. I mean, it's a really beautiful a piece of rhetoric that gets him stoned in the end, right? I mean, he, he dies for it, but this is just another man who's serving tables, who knows the word of God. And one of the characteristics that you see in the early church is they just couldn't get enough of God's word. And a, a, a casual understanding was not enough. Sermons went on for hours and hours and hours. And the people ate it up because they had to know the word of God. There was also a deep dependence upon the spirit of God. Turn back to chapter 13, verse 2. Luke writes, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The word there for ministering is liturgos, from which we get the word, from which we get the word liturgy. Right? They're, they're serving the Lord. They're serving the Lord uh, through their teaching. They're serving the Lord through their praise and worship. They are ministering to the Lord by, by praise and adoration. And God is receiving that as incense going up, the sacrifice. But they're also fasting and praying. Right? They're going through these spiritual practices that get them attuned to listen to the voice of the Spirit. And in this posture, they hear the voice of the Spirit. And if you pick up anything as you read through the book of Acts, what you see is that the church is guided by the Spirit of God. Sometimes we tend tend to look back on the apostles and think, wow, what great strategic planners, right? I mean, they could go from just such a small band, just 11 guys, they add one more, 12, there's 120, and then they they influence the world. Man, that's really good strategic planning. Like, how did they do that without uh, Jim Collins and good to great? But, you know, they didn't, actually. What happened is they just kind of stumbled into stuff. Because they were actively listening for the voice of the Spirit. So they're deep in the Word. They're deep in listening to the Spirit of God. And as a result, they were deeply sacrificial and willing to give. Verse 2, again, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. So, you know, often we think... um, about sacrifice in terms of, of money or time, but what they gave here is they gave, they gave people. Right? And in a sense, really, they gave their best. When the church was born, the apostles from Jerusalem sent Barnabas, and he, he encouraged them. They loved Barnabas. And then Barnabas went out and said, they need more theology. He went and got Paul. So Paul and Barnabas, 
These are, these are like the founding guys of their church. And they said, we release you. Right? They gave. And they didn't send Paul and Barnabas out empty-handed. They, they financed their ministry. In fact, Paul would go to the church in Corinth. He says, here's my boast. I get to present the gospel to you freely. Why? Because the church in Antioch had richly supplied them so that they could travel all around the world and present the gospel. So they gave people. They gave their finances. They gave and they gave and they gave. They were deep in their eagerness to give and to sacrifice. Then third characteristic, they were daring. Verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Um, somebody had to stay and somebody had to go. Right? I told you a story a couple weeks ago about a friend of mine that I knew in college, uh, about the same age now, and he said his group of guys, he trusted Christ as a freshman, but he got involved with a group of guys, and they said, you know what, we're all going to be goers or senders. If we stay, we will send others. And two of them ended up going, and the others stayed, and they made sacrifices so that those could go. But somebody had to go. Right? And in the early church, somebody had to go. And I remember when uh, this guy and I were in college, we heard a speaker say at one point, uh, normally we think this way. We think, I'm willing to go, but I'm planning to stay. But what if we had enough courage to say to the Lord, I'm planning to go, but I'm willing to stay. I'm planning to go. I'm planning to stretch. And Lord, I'm, I'm going to wait for you to stop me. That takes a little bit more courage. Even if that's just, I'm planning to go to my neighbors this week. And Lord, if you don't want me to, (laughs) stop me. But I'm going to be courageous. In fact, one of the most important words in the book of Acts is boldness. The church moved forward because its people were bold. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together, and they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Notice, therefore, because they had opposition, they had to be bold. They had to be courageous. In fact, this is a quality that marked all of Paul's ministry. Verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue in Ephesus and he continued to speak out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So Paul steps out boldly, constantly. His, His whole group was bold, and because of their boldness, they were always under attack. And so you know what Paul asked the churches to pray for, for him? That he wouldn't stop being bold. Ephesians chapter 6. Pray this on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Even Paul asked for boldness, because the more he stepped out in boldness, the more his boldness was attacked. And this he writes even from prison as he is in chains. He says, don't let me shrink back in fear. The church moved forward because there was boldness. You know, and we hear these stories and say, man, those apostles, they did some crazy stuff. That's not me. That's not me. You know what? You're right. It's not you. But neither was it them. When Jesus was arrested, where did all the apostles go? They ran and hid, right? Because they were cowards. They were literally, they were cowards. And when the gospel began to break out, By the power of the Spirit, where was the Apostle Paul? Well, he wasn't the Apostle Paul yet. He was an angry, hateful man, right? So the 11 started as cowards. Paul started as an angry, hateful, bitter man. But when the power of the Spirit came inside of them, what what happened? They, they, They were transformed and they became bold, courageous, and humble witnesses to the resurrection. So you say to yourself, man, I read the stories of the apostles. That's not me. I say, well, it's not you apart from the Spirit, and it's not me apart from the Spirit, but it is you because you have the same Spirit. And all that you have to do is say, God, would, would you make me bold? And I wonder this morning, are we courageous enough to say, God, make me bold? Because if we pray that and he answers it, he's going to put us in challenging situations where what we have to offer is not enough courage. We need 
the power of the Spirit. The reason the church exploded in the book of Acts is because they were dependent upon the power of Spirit and not themselves. The same Spirit that you and I both have. Hebrews chapter 4 says this. Therefore, let us draw near with boldness. Same word. Parisia. Let us draw near with boldness to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us draw near. We can actually jump into the very presence of God with courage and boldness. And then having received the grace and help we need for time of need, we can go out in the world with that same boldness. And are we willing to do that? Church, this is my prayer. Uh, I've, I've started to pray for us uh, as we've gone through this every, every need process. And I've been praying and praying and praying. And it's God, make us bold. Right? Bold as, as we've never been before. Not, not jerks, not obnoxious, but bold. Genuinely courageous to take the gospel to people who, who have not heard it or haven't heard a clear presentation of it. All they've seen is just a cultural version this, this shell of the idea that in life there is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the only source of life. Now let me give you an illustration. Um, when I was a senior in high school, I took organic chemistry. And our end-of-the-year project was we were, uh, we were required to create an ester. Right? So uh, esters with low molecular uh, weight are uh, what's used often in fragrances. So basically, we had to create a fragrance. There are 15 of us in class, and we each had to create a unique fragrance. So, you know, there was strawberry and mint and vanilla, and somebody did like a rose smell. I did banana, I made a banana ester, right? 15 of us, and we all were successful. We all created uh, an ester, and by the end of the project, we all had a little vial with just a few drops of an ester, uh, which was, uh, you know, contained these unique scents. But it was super, super, super concentrated drops. In fact, by the time we finished our project, all of A&M Consolidated High School reeks. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Right? I mean, we were so proud of ourselves. The entire school just stunk because there was this incredibly nasty mix of all of these scents. And they were so concentrated. And periodically, you know, you'd have to take the topper off of that vial. And so... They canceled that project, right? They never allowed students in organic chemistry to do that project again. But I thought, what an incredible illustration. That's how the gospel works, right? The, the, the apostles are expecting the kingdom of God to come in like this. Whoosh, boom, right? It's just, it's huge and it's enormous and it's political and it crushes the Romans. And Jesus said, you know, since I've been rejected, it's actually not going to happen like this. It's actually going to happen like with a tiny little seed. But that seed is going to grow and it's going to send out branches and pretty soon, it's going to be enormous. And the birds of the air can come and make their nests there. They can live safely in this place. But it's not going to start huge. It's going to start, start small. And it's going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And that is Jesus' strategy. That's Jesus' strategy. And that's the beauty of the church, right? When you just take the top off that scent that is you, and you just let it begin to go. And then I let it begin to go. And pretty soon... It's going absolutely everywhere throughout the entire world. You know, we, we uh, focus in the book of Acts, in the second section, it's all on the Apostle Paul. But according to tradition, the apostles all went, right? They all went somewhere. Uh, through their ministry, the gospel started with just a, a few people, and then it went to the entire known world at that time. So much so that in Acts 17... Uh, the people in Athens said, these men who have upset the world have come here also. And wouldn't it be awesome if uh, people said that of us as well? These people of Grace Bible Church, who they just upset the world. And now they're here and they're there and they're absolutely everywhere. Why? Because they're bold. They're courageous with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, um, we have been challenging ourselves the last month with this initiative. We're calling it Every Knee. Uh, and ultimately, it's not about buildings. It's not about money. It's just about people. It's about others. What's the mission of the church? Just help people find and follow Jesus. It's that simple. Every day, every neighbor, every nation, this is what the church does. And when the church is stirred up and courageous by the power of the Holy Spirit, miraculous things happen. Now, I want to encourage us. We are about to enter into the summer months. My kids just got us out of school uh, this last week. And they've got time. And your neighbor's kids have time. And they're trying to figure out, what do we do with our kids? 
they're, they're ready, in a sense, to be initiated with. Can you help me with ideas of what we can do as a family? Their time is uh, a lot more flexible. People are going on vacations, and they're coming back, and they've got evenings free, and they've got uh, space in their lives. Uh, all of the sports teams aren't always going on all summer long. There are gaps in schedules, and now is the moment, church, really, really strategic moment for us to begin to initiate with our neighbors in boldness. So what I'd uh, like for us to do next is Chris Merrill, who leads our outreach uh, team here at the Anderson campus, is going to come up, and he's going to give you some really specific ideas about how we can initiate with our neighbors over the next few weeks. All right. Church, I just want to say you inspire me. It's just been an awesome part of my job just to hear different stories from you guys of how you're living this out already, and it's just been awesome. What I'd love for you to do is, just for the sake of time, is uh, let's break church etiquette, and I'd like you to get uh, your camera app out, and uh, instead of me sharing some slides with you, there's going to be a few places where I'm just going to ask you to take a picture so that you can go back later, and then if you want to grab coffee, coffee's on me, and we can talk deeper. Uh, But for sake of time, grab your cell phone, and I'm going to have you take a picture of the screen here in just a few minutes, but I'm going to take just 30 seconds of the time I don't have and just say, isn't it awesome to follow a humble visionary? Like, I just want to say that in this vision process, this initiative that's taken place, most pastors would be just frantic and wilting. And and I just want to say, Brian's just been himself and his identity is in Christ. And it's just been awesome to follow him. And I would just encourage you to uh, just write him an email and just share how his ministry in your life has affected you. Would you do that and let him have that gift going into this summer of just what this has taken place? But just thanks, Brian, for your leadership. And I know you hate announcements like that, but appreciate that. Just to bridge out of what Brian was saying, I, I, think, we, I think we could be just amazed if we gathered all the leaders that this river of a church, like we just have a river of people that flow through here. If we gathered all the leaders that God has sent out from BCS, all over America, all over the world, and we gathered and we had a reunion, I think you would be really underwhelmed with who those people are. You'd just be underwhelmed. But as they began to tell their stories, just like Brian said, you'd be just so impressed with Jesus in them. You'd just be so amazed that these ordinary people, just like they said to the disciples, ordinary people that had been with Jesus are doing extraordinary things. Seeing 1,400 churches planted around the world. Seeing uh, orphans adopted in, in really difficult places. And if we gathered those leaders, you'd be amazed that, wow, I'm a lot like that guy. And those just ordinary acts. The, 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 the next two years, if we're going to turn College Station upside down and the world upside down, it's, there might be some talent in the room that could fill Kyle Field and preach the gospel and sing the gospel. There might be somebody like that in here. I doubt it. It's probably going to look like 5,000 people doing some ordinary stuff like having their neighbors over for a meal and asking intentional questions. In fact, as we we think about this, ordinary people doing ordinary acts with a powerful God, he's going to take on the powerful thing of asking your neighbor to help you with your car, work on your car, and that Jesus conversation, and suddenly powerful God shows up in ordinary act, and boom, times 5,000. In a place like Bryan College Station, it's going to be beautiful. And I would just ask you to do that. So let's just talk about every day, every neighbor, and every nation here for just a minute. And let's get specific. First of all, every day, we wanted you to think about the people that you see every day where you live, work, study, or play. All right? Just everyday life. What if you transformed that? There was a lady in in the... uh, uh, entryway a while back, and she came up to me, and she was one of our older, wiser saints. Uh, we'll just say wiser saints, and she just said, I did it, I did it. And I was like, Awesome, what did you do? And she said, I've had the same guy mow my grass for several years, and I never thought about inviting him in for lemonade and just talking to him about Jesus. An ordinary her invited her more, more guy in, and they had lemonade and talked about Jesus, and it was awesome. And she was just like, I did it. And so I'd love for you to just think about who are the neighbors that are around you this summer? Like, who are literally the eight people closest to you? Have you engaged them? Have you talked to them? Do you know their names? Do you know their kids? Do they eat supper at your house? And if you're like, man, my workplace is the place. Awesome. Who are the cubicles next door? Who are the offices next door? The places where you play? I want you just to think about every day. Have you ever, you ever thought about what a normal Monday in College Station looks like for Grace Bible Church? When missionaries approach a city, they think about the different domains within a city. They think about how can we affect the education domain, the medical domain, the business domain, the the service industry domain, athletics, the arts. 
And, and church, can you imagine a family like just living their normal day? Maybe a new family to College Station and dad goes to work and he meets his office mate and they have a conversation and finds out, oh wow, that guy goes to Grace and sees that this guy is just a solid man of integrity and he, he needs to have an appointment with a lawyer and he meets one of our elders who happens to be a lawyer and they pray together before their appointment. And the mom's at the doctor about to have a concerning exam and the doctor comes in and, and prays for them and all these people are members of of Grace Bible Church, and between these trips, they're listening to sports radio, and, and like both hosts on sports radio are members of Grace Bible Church, and their kids are at school, and in fifth grade, another fifth grader grabs them and says, hey, have you heard of Club 56? Why don't you come with me? And they're like, something's different about this room because their fifth grade teachers just prayed over them that morning as a new student. And their, their older daughter's at high school, and she goes out for soccer, and there's a soccer coach that's a member of Grace. Like, that happens all the time. Like, think about it. This isn't rhetoric when we say we want every neighbor in, Kyle, in Bryan College Station to have repeated opportunities to experience the gospel, to find and follow Jesus. That's not rhetoric. Like, one in 30 people call a Grace Bible Church campus their church. And church, we encounter all these people in different domains. It's just beautiful to see just all the different ways that we encounter people. Our freshmen... Small groups, any freshmen in here? Got a couple. Our freshmen small groups recently just threw a swim party and just invited their unchurched friends to that swim party. And two of our freshmen stood up and just talked a little bit about Jesus and made sure that those other freshmen that were unchurched had a small group where they could go. It isn't the extraordinary acts that we want you to look for. It's we want you to think like a mom in our church that grabs the hands of her kids every time she pulls into H-E-B. She turns and before she unbuckles her kids, she holds their hands and she says, Father, if there is a family or a person in HEB today that we need to speak to, help us to see them. Help us to have the courage to talk to them. And may we be the salt and light. As we go to HEB, I can tell 10 stories to you of people who are now in the kingdom of God whose relationships started at HEB with courageous, incredible, unbelievable lines like, oh, do you like those apples? Or have you tried that sauce? What's it good on? Every day we're asking you, would you consider where you live, work, and play and just meet the people that are around you and let God transform it. Be ordinary people, ordinary acts, and just say, God, would you show up in power? Would you show up? Here's some ways that you can grow and just... Every day. And just love for you to take a picture of that screen. But one that I want to point out is, is just, would you identify believers in your sphere to join you? You're six times more likely to be a fruitful disciple maker if you have other believers around you. And you know what? There's a ton of believers that don't go to Grace Bible Church around here. Don't be exclusive. Like invite people from other churches like, hey, let's start praying for our office. Let's start praying for our school and would love for you to just invite people into your home and world, but find the believers that are around you and be a team with them. And I hope that many of those believers are outside of Grace Bible Church and that we help tons of churches thrive over the next two years of this Every Knee initiative. If you want to learn to speak about Jesus naturally and share the gospel, come talk to me. We'd love to get you hooked up to some equipping classes, all right? The next one is Every Neighbor. Now, you remember Jesus told this story of the Good Samaritan where a, a, a lawyer stood up and he said, um, like, pretty much, what must I do to, to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, well, what's the law say? And the lawyer said, well, love God and love your neighbor. And, Jesus, and so then he, he wanted to know exactly. So he said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus told an incredible story about a man that this Jewish man was probably prejudiced against helping a Jew who has fallen. And Jesus asked him, well, who's my neighbor? And who was the neighbor in that story? And his eyes. So our idea of every neighbor needs to expand to people that are near us that aren't exactly like us. If you like to hang out only with people that are like you, you're going to hate heaven. It's going to be the most diverse place on earth. God guarantees every tongue and tribe and nation will be there. And so let's get used to it. All right. Let's hang out with people of different ethnic groups. And that starts here in our church. This auditorium, as I'm looking out, I love it that we have so much diversity, even right here. But do we speak across ethnic lines very easily, even in this auditorium? How are we going to do it out there? And so we'd love for you to hang out with different nationalities. Like, do you realize that College Station, you realize how small our city is? We are the fifth largest 
we have the fifth largest number of H-1B visas. Like we are right, right beneath, here's the list. New York City, Dallas, Washington, D.C., Boston, College Station, yeah! Philadelphia, Chicago, Houston, Atlanta. We have more of these technical visas, these researchers. 37,000 of the smartest people in the world over the last six years have gotten visas to be in College Station. I love to just ask my neighbors, like, hey, what do you do? What are you studying? One guy's like inserting what he hopes is a malaria vaccine into mosquitoes so that when the mosquitoes reproduce and they bite you, it'll actually protect you against malaria. How incredible! Like, welcome to the kingdom of God, brother. Like, that would be awesome, would it not? And so I'm saying, go talk to your neighbors. And you're, you're, uh, we have reached a tipping point. We have halal meat markets. We have multiple mosques. We have a, a huge Hindu temple in our area. And this area is going to keep getting more and more diverse. And so you can fight it if you want, but let's practice and enjoy it and start thinking about what this could look like for heaven. Just one quick story that I hope you can find yourself in. There's a gal named Sarah that's part of our congregation. You might be sitting next to her. And she met a guy in her her economics class, and he introduced her to this whole group of Chinese people in her neighborhood. And she's like, I'm outnumbered here, so let me recruit my two friends, Mark and Abigail. And so they started interacting. They had them over for football and some barbecue and, and just began talking. And they finally invited them to start reading the Bible with them. And they read the Bible in this really simple way that anybody in this auditorium could do, and it's transforming the world. They just read a Bible story, asked five questions. Next week, read a Bible story, asked five questions. And all three of those Chinese Chinese neighbors came into the kingdom of God and have now moved back to China as baptized believers, equipped to reproduce. And if you met Sarah, Abigail, and Mark, you'd be like, well, heck, if they can do that, man... I I could definitely do that, you know? And so I would just encourage you, if you're looking for some ways to meet neighbors, just, you might take a picture of this, is first we got this Anderson block party coming up. I would love for you to come. This week on Tuesday and Thursday, if you're like, man, I could use some boldness. I could use somebody modeling what this looks like. We're just Tuesday and Thursday, meet me right out here at 6.30, and we're just going to go invite our neighbors to this block party and pray for them and talk with them. And just come. It, no matter who you are in this room, you're going to meet somebody that looks different than you. And, and so come to the block party. The big giveaway isn't an event. It's a time where you meet a student brand to, to America, and you get to be one of their first friends and be friends with them throughout the year and have them into your home for dinner. It's awesome. If you want to be trained, there's some other ways that you can be trained. But I would just challenge you, choose a new neighborhood to walk in sometimes. Take a 10-minute drive. You got the time in the summer. This is a We don't have traffic, no freshmen in pickup trucks running you over. Go pick a new neighborhood and prayer walk it. Go to new neighborhoods to eat, to play. There's a family in our church that literally signed their son up for a football league in another section of town so that they can meet people different than them. And what was awesome was he got better coaching and he became a better player in that place and that whole family became missional in that place. Can we be the church that just does stuff like that on a regular basis? You've probably got better ideas than even these. And you will do even greater things. If Jesus can say say that his disciples are going to do even greater things than he, then man, I just say, church, you are the hope of reaching Bryan College Station. And we need to reach people that look different than us, not so that we can reach them, but so that they can reach the people that look different than us because they're going to reach them much better than us, right? And it just can be a beautiful thing. Super quick, wrapping up. Grace for the city is June 16th. You heard about it. A day to live intentionally for every neighbor. And I would just love for you to come to the Anderson block party. If you're like, man, I don't have the guts to throw a block party, come to ours. That's why we're doing it. And we're just going to have a huge block party right right next to the church here at Anderson Park. Uh, One of the projects that our outreach ministry is asking us to focus on is Anderson. We have many community partners we love. But one specific thing that this campus is, we're asking if we can knock this one out is can we do some work for Save Our Streets Ministry? They're going to build a fence and do some things, and there'll be work for men and women. And so you can sign up uh, at, a, at a website that'll be on the screen in just a minute. But throw a block party with your neighbors or do something better and work with our other community partners. You can go to this website right here and learn more about Grace for the City. So take a picture of that. And would you, my wife's birthday is June 16th. So would you honor my wife, the best introverted evangelist that I know, Would you honor her by celebrating her birthday?
by intentionally living for every neighbor. I love the cell phones everywhere. It's awesome. So, uh, and then last, I got to be careful with this one because I could just start a forest fire uh, with passion on this one. But we need some of you. I'm just going to say it straight up. We want some of you to joyfully change your address for the sake of the kingdom of God. Would you just say, I want to change my address I want to go plant a church somewhere that looks like this, somewhere where there isn't a church like Grace in the, in the United States. And if some of you, would you say, like, hey, I, I want to go to the nations. And church, our, our commitment to you as leaders of this church is that we will learn with you and we will resource you to accomplish what you're dreaming about in every day, every neighbor, and every nation categories. We want to dream. And don't disqualify yourself from going. There's a couple, a, a family in our church, they have three just awesome kids that I love. And we've been hanging out a lot. And five years ago, this husband was an alcoholic and, and, and even used some other substances. And to stop that lifestyle, he decided he was just going to kind of just cut himself off from all his friendships because that's what all his friendships were about. And so they kind of, I don't recommend this, but they lived as hermits for about the last three, three or four years. And then last year, they heard a sermon about reaching out to their neighbors. And with a lot of anxiety, they kind of raised their hand and said, would you train us to do that? And so they've been meeting their neighbors. They even moved into a new apartment complex. And they're meeting people from Iran, people from China, people that look just like them, people that look very different than them. And they're telling people about how to talk. They're they're talking to people about Jesus. They're helping people find and follow Jesus. And they've just recently said, hey, we would like to be trained to go to the nations over the next two years. And so... I just say, don't disqualify yourself. As I talk to people about missions, it usually looks like just a series of simple yeses as people walk in obedience to the nations. And God in you can do extraordinary things in the nations. Here's some ways that you can grow towards going. There's a class this fall that I encourage you to sign up. We've got it down to about 30 bucks, I think is what it costs, called Awaken. And it's eight weeks of just Wow, this is what God says about the nations and how I can be a part. There's perspectives if you're looking for like kind of the graduate course of that. It's 15 weeks in the spring. Take a missions trip with your family. I would love to help you connect with a missions trip that you can take. And then some of you, are, if you're ready to be trained to go, we have these things called go groups that are nine months of pre-field training. And we would love to train you in that way. And so if, if you're like, if, even if we have a 62-year-old lady, a cancer survivor, that's going to be training to go to the nations this coming year. How awesome is that? So church, you're killing it. And we're asking you, can we deepen this vision and accelerate this vision and do all the more? And can you imagine 6,000 people doing ordinary acts with a powerful God inside of them this week? What that's going to look like? Like, would you just take a walk and get to know your neighbors? Pray. Ask God for ideas and boldness. Meet other believers and then go after it where you live, work, and play. Go after it with people that look different than you. And I would love to resource you. Brian talked about Paul and Barnabas being sent out. And can I just read the results in Acts chapter 19 and verse 10? It talks about just in this one area where Paul spent two years. He, he equipped people and resourced people to go out and share the gospel. I want you to just read verse 10. It said, this continued for two years. So that all the residents of Bryan College Station, maybe, of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. And I love how it ends. Both Jews and Greeks. So church, this isn't just visionary rhetoric. Would you be crazy enough to believe with us that we can give every person that we meet every day, every neighbor in Bryan College Station, and even nations, Repeated opportunities to find and follow Jesus. If you would like to uh, email me, the coffee is on me. Okay, I know that's a lot of coffee, but it's summertime and I love caffeine. I mean, I I get pretty crazy on caffeine, so I might uh, go decaf with you, but would love to sit down with coffee. I am even put my cell phone number up there. That's how much I want to equip you or connect you to people that can connect you. So please email me or text me. And if you're like, man, I know specifically I want to grow in the category of every day or every neighbor or every nation, 
then I'd ask you to take a picture of this website, this little, little website there, and there's a survey there that you can fill out. If you know specifically, hey, I would like to grow, then we'll connect you in that way, all right? So thanks. I know we're uh, a little bit of extra time, but church, I'm so proud of you. I, I just chuckle sometimes. That story of that family, I think, really happens. That they interact, people in this community interact with the gospel as we carry it forth so beautifully. And will you be a carrier? Will you be an owner? Could it be like, hi, my name's Chris, and, and we, we, uh, we help people find and follow Jesus. Will you be an owner with us over these next two years to make this even deeper? Thanks. Thank you, Chris. Chris gets me fired up every time. All right, so uh, it's... it's um, June 3rd, and uh, you know, our, our financial staff has been collecting the commitment cards, and they've been recording stuff, and I uh, promise I'll tell you where we are in that whole process. Um, but uh, as we're doing that, I, I, I want to remind you first that uh, the primary goal of this uh, was internal. Right? It wasn't about buildings and money. It was this, that each of us and all of us together would experience the joy of generously giving all that we have and all that we are to Jesus, that it would ultimately be, in a sense, about our hearts that said, I want to give you a few other numbers first that have been really encouraging to me. Uh, we have 800 people who've never uh, contributed financially toward the gospel of Jesus Christ going out. That's crazy cool. That's such an encouraging number to me. Uh, you got, many of you know Greg Mott started Breakaway here, and he's uh, pastor at Houston's First Baptist. During this process, he gave me a call, and he was asking me about stuff, and I told him that number, and he said, wow, thanks. Because so many of our members or students, they leave this place, they go down there, and they get it, right? They, they in, uh, immediately begin to use their spiritual gifts and serve and jump in financially for the uh, spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's a really encouraging number. Uh, next one that's really encouraging to me is our youth department committed $58,400. Wow, that's incredible. Um, so, you know, even in our students, stirring up inside of them is a desire to reach their friends and their neighbors and even to see that they can help to reach, reach the nations. Uh, and then many of our people who are regular givers uh, doubled or even tripled their giving, some who even giving five times more. I mean, it's just a, it's a tremendous uh, outpouring, I feel like, that God has moved in our hearts in a really powerful way. Um, now, if you'll recall, under normal circumstances, normal year, in the next two years, we would expect that we would receive about $12 million. Our, our budget's $5.5 to $6 million per year. So apart from challenging ourselves with this initiative, we, we estimated we'd get about $12 million. Uh, with the initiative, uh, what our church is committed to has been $22 million. Okay, that's, that's enormous. That's, that's $10 million more. Right? So it's, I know we're a Bible church, so you can put down your pens and go, wow, that's really amazing. Uh, ten, $10 million more than we would have uh, given to. And, um, you know, Brad told me he had, uh, he had lunch this past week with one of our, uh, one of our senior saints, and uh, his comment to Brad was, Brad, it's about time. It's about time that we really pushed again and challenged ourselves. Now, you remember our, our huge faith goal was $32 million. $22 million is huge. It's $10 million more than what we would have given. That gets us way down the road. $32 million was that faith goal that within two years we could pay off all of Southwood and initiate three new church plants. So what this means practically is we're not going to be able to pay off Creekside as, as quickly as we thought we would, and we're going to have to prioritize those church plants. But I want you to also recall that this is a two-year initiative, and this is just the start of the process. Uh, every day over the last uh, four weeks, our finance team has been collecting cards. Uh, people are jumping in every day. Yesterday I came up to work on my message, and I had a a note from a former student friend on my desk, and it said, hey, Brian, we've been following along online. What's going on with this initiative? I just want you to know we're in. All right, so every day people are jumping in, and they will over the next two years. And so you know, this is really, in a sense, it's just a starting point. Uh, and, and this is just a starting point for us today. We're going we're gonna to collect our first uh, offering. We're going to worship through offering. And these are a few numbers, but uh, I wanted to show you a few stories our media team put together a few stories of what God has been doing in people's hearts. So we're going we're gonna to listen to these stories, and then we're going to give our first offering in worship together after that. And so what I wrote is that tonight I'm going to turn in a commitment card. I'm not turning it in to the elders. I'm not turning it in to the staff. 
I'm not turning it into the congregation. But it's a message to God. So our family's response to every new as we were sitting down uh, looking at uh, the commitment card was on the financial side, uh, we kind of knew what we were going to do, but uh, the additional uh, for 2018 and beyond uh, really was to go. So my wife and I, uh, with our six kids, uh, feel compelled uh, to most likely move to Uganda and uh, help take care of kids there. Well, he's been teaching me to give to others and be caring and not just think about what your future is, but what other people's is. Just, I'm so happy that Grace is going to share this with the world, because a lot of people don't know Christ. God has been teaching me tons about generosity. He's taught me so much that He does not want me to give um, because I'm going to earn His approval that way. He does not want me to give because that is what society expects me to do. He wants me to give to give for the eternal perspective of knowing that giving leads to more disciples being made. Giving leads to literally showing my passion and my joy and my admiration of Him and giving to a purpose that is greater than my own. We should be giving in a way that looks foolish to the world if we really believe that heaven is real. Because I really believe that heaven is real. I want to invest like it, and I want to give my money away like I believe that God is going to do something with my obedience. We need more churches so then more people can learn about Jesus. I think... We have to be at a place of gratitude before we can be generous. And so, like, the more I realize how much I've been giving, the more I want to give. Every knee has been a great reminder that we are to give every bit of ourselves, our time, our talent, our resources, our money. It all belongs to Jesus anyway. And it's just been awesome for us to experience this and see us really come together as the body of Christ and as Grace Bible Church to make an impact with every day, every neighbor, every nation. Giving sacrificially, but giving joyfully, that has challenged me in a lot of ways. Because whenever I think about my finances, I'm just like, how can I save for myself? How do I give back to my education loan? And I'm always thinking about myself. But this series has challenged me to think that because he has given me everything that I should give not to earn anything, but because that's what we we are called to do. And I'm so excited to be part of... um, this every knee and reaching the world, reaching my neighbors, those who do not know me, and those I wish just to bless. God bless you as you give. Father, I pray that uh, you would make us bold. I pray, Father, that uh, we would not be fearful of the adversary, that we would not uh, love the approval of, of people so much as we love your approval. I pray, Father, that we would look out this week upon the people who are surrounding us and we would see them with your eyes. We would see uh, the pain in their lives and the hurt and the brokenness and the fear and the anxiety and see that there's just a cry within them that they need to know your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit this week in, in a way maybe we haven't experienced before because we're willing to take these steps of faith. Father, give us courage, give us boldness, make us powerful witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church, let's go out and be bold this week. Here's some great stories in the next few weeks. God bless you.